Welcome to Off the Record. I'm your host, Marika Day, dietitian, nutritionist, recovering perfectionist, and founder of Fueled by Marika Day. Join me here each week as we delve into what it really means to be a healthy and happy human. You'll hear from conversations with experts in their fields to raw and real chats about aspects of health and life that we really don't hear enough about. You'll be left feeling inspired, educated, and empowered to be the best version of you. So sit back, relax, or head on out for your walk, and let's dive on in. Hey everyone, and welcome back. Today's episode, I am going to be answering a question that was submitted by one of you on Instagram, and the question is about endometriosis. So I'm going to read out the question that Caitlin has kindly submitted. So the question is, what foods should I eat more of and what foods should I avoid with endometriosis? So first up, there's a lot of misinformation out there about nutrition and endometriosis. And depending on where you're looking, whether it's online or whether you're going to different types of practitioners, you probably are going to get conflicting information. And the reason for this, if you listen to last week's episode, will help you understand. But one of the reasons for this is that there isn't actually a lot of research around what is the best things to eat and how much of a role does nutrition play in the management um, in terms of the symptomatic management of endometriosis. So I'm going to start with one of the most common things that we hear when it comes to endometriosis and nutrition. And this is that following a low FODMAP diet. So a low FODMAP diet is typically used in irritable bowel syndrome. And there is a lot of um, talk about the low FODMAP diet in endometriosis. Now, this talk comes from a study that was published, and I think it was an Australian study. And what it showed is that people who have endometriosis and irritable bowel syndrome, when they followed a low FODMAP diet, they found that they had um, improved symptomatic relief beyond that, that somebody just with IBS would have. So this paper was then, I guess, taken and sort of spread across the media and the world um, and sort of said that everybody who has endometriosis therefore should follow a low FODMAP diet or that a low FODMAP diet is really effective at managing the symptoms of endometriosis. However, one of the key factors that I guess was kind of ignored in the media publication of this um, research article is the fact that the people who followed the low FODMAP diet also had irritable bowel syndrome. So they had diagnosable irritable bowel syndrome based on the criteria for irritable bowel syndrome. So what I feel like really needs to be stressed here is that if you do have symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome, which there is a huge overlap in terms of endometriosis. So it is quite common to have um, both endometriosis and irritable bowel syndrome. But if people are having both of these conditions at the same time, then following a low FODMAP diet to identify any triggers is going to be useful. Now, the key thing with the low FODMAP diet is that it is a short-term diet to help you identify which foods, so which high FODMAP foods are causing you know, additional symptoms for you. So it's not something that you need to follow strictly for any longer than four weeks. Four weeks is certainly enough time to identify what triggers are, or it's enough time to do the elimination and then you work into the introduction phase of the low FODMAP diet to identify what are the triggers uh, specifically for you. 
Now, typically the low FODMAP diet is done um, with the guidance of a dietitian. And I do strongly recommend that because again, I've seen people who've been on the low FODMAP diet for far longer than they need to be. And being on it for longer can actually cause not damage to your gut, but can cause more harm than good because you're restricting foods that you just don't need to be restricting. So that is definitely one way of looking at nutrition in endometriosis. But as I said, that's really specific for people who are experiencing symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome alongside that. And just to refresh, symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome include things like abdominal cramping, abdominal pain, bloating, gas, and either diarrhea or constipation or switching between both. So obviously there is with, you know, the cramping and the pain, a massive overlap between symptoms of endometriosis and IBS. So this is something that's worthwhile speaking to a dietitian about if you feel like that you do have um, sort of comorbid IBS and endometriosis, because this is where something like the low FODMAP diet might be useful for you. The important thing to note with uh, IBS and endometriosis is that by following a low FODMAP diet and by reducing foods that are potentially triggers for you, what this is going to do is help improve your symptomatic experience. So it's going to hopefully help to reduce your frequency of bloating, pain, gas, and altered bowels. However, it is not going to have an influence on the occurrence of endometriosis or on the um, reoccurrence of endometriosis if you've had surgery to um, excise the endometriosis. And this is true for pretty much all of the dietary recommendations we have around endometriosis is that there's no really solid evidence that shows that eating in a certain way is going to reduce the amount of endometriosis found throughout your body or that um, it can effectively essentially cure endometriosis. There's no cure for endometriosis as we stand today. The next most common, I guess, myth, I'm going to use that word because it is actually a myth um, that I hear around endometriosis and nutrition is that cutting out gluten and cutting out dairy is advisable for endometriosis and is beneficial for endometriosis. Now, there is no evidence to suggest that this is the case whatsoever. The only reason when I sort of think about, okay, why might people recommend this? The only thing I can sort of come up with to try and explain why people recommend this is because maybe for some people, like I've just mentioned, the whole FODMAPs and the overlap with irritable bowel syndrome, some people might have um, issues with lactose, which is the sugar found in dairy, and others might have issues with uh, wheat, which is obviously really commonly associated with intake of gluten. So that might be why some people think that reducing dairy and um, gluten is going to improve the symptomatic experience. But I mean, I've even heard that people say that, you know, cutting out gluten and cutting out dairy means that the endometriosis won't come back. And like I've said, that is completely not true. And even if uh, even if FODMAPs are a problem for you, it doesn't mean that you need to cut out gluten and dairy. You can absolutely still have lactose-free uh, lactose free dairy products if lactose is a problem for you, if you've identified that you know, during the FODMAP elimination diet. So the notion that you need to cut out gluten and dairy is completely um, fabricated when it comes to endometriosis. 
Of course, some people, like I've mentioned, are going to have symptomatic benefits when they do that just as a coincidence or as related to something like FODMAPs. Okay, so how should we actually eat if we have been diagnosed with endometriosis? So one of the things that we do know is that endometriosis is associated with uh, elevated inflammatory markers. And it is a condition that you know causes an inflammatory response within the body. And so what we can do, you know, by choice and by lifestyle change is help to reduce the inflammation that we experience from our external environment. So diet is obviously one of the ways that we can sort of help to reduce uh, the inflammatory processes within our body. Now, the, I guess, most well-researched, most famous anti-inflammatory diet is the Mediterranean style diet. Now, when I speak about diet in this sense, I really want to emphasize that I'm speaking about way of eating, not like a strict, you must follow this, you must not eat that, and you have to eat this. When I speak about a Mediterranean diet, or when I speak about diets in general, what I'm talking about is your pattern of eating. So it doesn't matter if you have, you know, little bits of things here and there. It's the overall pattern of your diet. So what is a Mediterranean diet or what is an anti-inflammatory diet? An anti-inflammatory diet is one that includes lots of fruits and vegetables. So that makes up a large portion of the diet. It includes things like whole grains and limits things like refined carbohydrates and highly processed foods. So we're talking, you know, like really processed, ultra processed foods, um, things like takeaways and those sorts of things. Again, not saying that you can't have them. It's just that it shouldn't be making up a large portion of your diet. The other things that an anti-inflammatory diet includes is things like healthy fats and fats from omega-3 fatty acids. So things like salmon and tuna, where we're getting in those really healthy long chain omega-3 fatty acids. Interestingly, one of the things that um, the Mediterranean style diet doesn't consume a lot of is uh, red meats and in particular processed red meats. So things like deli meats. So that is one thing that we do recommend um, not avoiding in endometriosis, but certainly limiting in endometriosis. So looking for your protein sources from more things like legumes and Uh, lentils and fish and seafood and even then white meats as well. So they're sort of making up the primary sources of your protein. Now, dairy absolutely does play a role in this as well. And also extra virgin olive oil is something that's very predominant in uh, an anti-inflammatory diet. So I guess the really good news when it comes to endometriosis, I've said it too many times, the good news when it comes to endometriosis and diet is that we can make some really meaningful changes to our diet, which is going to help in terms of our symptomatic experience, as well as just helping improve our overall health and well-being, which is going to help our body Um, you know, reduce the inflammation within our body. So this is through a Mediterranean style diet. And if you do have comorbid irritable bowel syndrome, then working with a dietitian to help you identify if there's any specific food triggers for you that are actually worsening symptoms. So these are really the two main ways that you can have an impact on your endometriosis through nutrition. One final thing to add when it comes to endometriosis and nutrition is that 
for some people with endometriosis, they may be at a slightly higher risk of iron deficiency. And this could be due to um, heavy or long duration of menstruation. So if you are bleeding for more than sort of five to seven days in the month, or you've got really heavy bleeding during menstruation, then it is worthwhile um, increasing your iron rich foods. And I know we've just mentioned that red meat shouldn't be over consumed, but you certainly can still have small amounts of it as well as iron rich foods from plant-based sources are also fantastic. So things like lentils, legumes, chickpeas, and even some of our vegetables as well, like spinach. So there's some really good sources to get iron in, but if you're concerned about your iron levels, this is where it's worthwhile speaking to your GP or having an appointment with a dietitian to have a look at your blood markers. And one more thing that I want to finish on is another myth that I have heard far too many times is that people with endometriosis should not consume soy products because soy is a phytoestrogen, which is essentially just like a plant estrogen. And that people believe that it may worsen endometriosis or increase the risk of it. There is no evidence to support that. And in fact, there is some research to show a positive effect of moderate soy consumption during endometriosis. So on the advancement of endometriosis. So something to absolutely consider is to include soy products like soy milk or tofu in your diet in moderate amounts. So having it one to two times a day is absolutely fine. So Caitlin, I hope that answers your question in detail. If you have other questions that you would like me to cover in detail like this on the podcast, please shoot them through either on my weekly Q&As that I do on Instagram on at Marika Day or send me an email or shoot me a DM is another option as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget to share this on social media if you have learned something or if you enjoyed this episode and I will see you guys next week.